Several, several, several weeks ago, we started a series on being a contagious Christian. And then I don't think it was any accident that the Lord has chosen to, to save at least three of our, our young people since that study. Um, and then after that, I, I've been just really challenged by the series of messages. It was kind of cool. The month of June was supposed to be where the elders were going to just really pray about a, a standalone message, as they call it, that each of us would do. And I've been amazed about how those standalone messages that have fit together. And so the theme that I'm picking up on way back to Contagious Christian is this idea that uh, there's always a responsibility for those of us that follow God. There's always a responsibility for us to serve and obey. But it's always the power of God that, that produces anything good. And Benji spoke following the Contagious Christian series and he talked about uh, Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he taught us further that, that the entire church, Jesus Christ's church, is built on that confession. And the challenge was that God has set up his church. He says that the gates of hell won't even prevail. Nothing can slow down God's church. God is going to work through his church. But then the challenge came. There was God's part and then there was our part. Our responsibility was to be ready to honor that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the challenge was that my connection with the church family, my service to the church family, my buy-in to the church is going to reflect my true attitude of what I believe when it comes to that confession. Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And they always say that actions speak louder than words, right? So my action opportunity was to dive in. If he says that's what he's based his church, then I dive into the church and I, I minister and I share with one another and I build up the church of Jesus Christ as he builds it for his glory. Then Dr. Frank, first of all, he wished us happy Father's Day last week. That was kind of fun. I wish you today because this is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you that are fathers. Uh, but he challenged us big time too. He said that the people of God need to be prayer warriors. They need to be praying. And he took us through scripture and he showed us that God wants to do amazing things. And he used the example of the early church. And the early church would, would uh, pray and God would literally do miracles. He didn't talk about it, but I thought about the, the time where Peter was bound between big burly guards in prison. He was inside a, a locked gate, which was inside another locked gate. And the church of God was praying like crazy. They were doing their part. They were just seeking God on this. And literally in an impossible situation, God opens the doors of the prison. Peter walks out. He walks to the house where they're praying. He knocks on the door. They open the door and they can't even believe it's him. They shut the door in his face because they didn't even think he was real. They had been devoted to prayer and the Spirit showed up in a powerful way and led Peter right out of prison, right into their midst, restored him to their fellowship. God is hungry and anxious to do amazing things among us. And if we'll be obedient and we'll do, do our little part in it to be faithful to him, to pray, to honor that confession that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he wants to unleash incredible blessing and power. So today it's a, it's a follow-up, and it's specifically in the theme of, I think we were challenged and encouraged to be contagious Christians, and as I've been chewing on that, I think there's a, another action plan that needs to be put in place. We've got to walk the walk. We learn great skill on how to talk the talk, 
We've got to be men and women whose lives reflect accurately the message we're trying to share, whose lives have a consistency that between what I say and what I do. And just in the theme of the other two weeks, we have a responsibility, no doubt, but the encouragement and the joy is that God is waiting and hungry and ready to empower you to walk worthy of the calling that he's given us. So that I hope that you'll be excited to, to uh, see that. And I, more than anything, um, twofold. One, my prayer this morning is that if you're here and you've yet to see or yet to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that, that you'll again see the awesome power of the gospel. And that you'll realize that Jesus loves you and wants to save you today. And that he'll open the eyes of your heart and that you'll receive him. For those of us that have received him, my prayer is that the Spirit will stir in us, light a fire in us, so that we'll leave here today ready like never before to walk the walk, to be clear examples, clear witnesses of Jesus Christ. So it's no little thing we have to pause first and ask God to do it, because if he doesn't work, no good will come. Father, we're thankful that your word is living It's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right into our hearts where we need it, Lord. We're thankful that your Spirit lives in those of us that know you as Savior. We're thankful that 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 same power that raised Christ from the dead works in us, lives in us. And Lord, really, nothing can stop you, but it seems like, for whatever reason, you choose to wait on, on our obedience. You choose to wait on our willingness, Lord to step out in faith and to follow you and to, to put this pattern into play. So I would pray that your spirit would especially touch my heart, my brothers and sisters' hearts, and allow us, Lord, to understand the, the proper response, that we'd be doers of the word, not hearers only. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to Luke 24, if you could. Jesus rose from the dead. Um, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but want you to know that that is not a fairy tale. Um, Josephus was a Jewish scholar, not a follower of Christ, not a fan of Christ. And yet Josephus, the Jewish scholar, said, uh, the historian said, there's no other event in history as well documented and historically substantiated as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't think for a minute that when we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate a fairy tale. This is a, a wonderfully historic and true event. But the spiritual part of that was after Jesus had risen from the dead, he spent uh, several days talking with his followers and trying to help them realize the power that God was going to then use in their life. That same resurrection power was going to be a part of their daily walk serving God. And I think he, he sums it up as I think most uh, concluding paragraphs do. Way down towards the bottom, verse 44. Consequently, this is right before Jesus was going to go back into heaven. So it's almost like he's getting them the, the key words. Let me summarize again the key thoughts here before I, I head back into heaven. And he says, verse 44, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to him, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Pause for a minute. That is a huge task that Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. This miracle of salvation is going to be explained across the entire world. Big stuff, big initiative. And then he says something powerful here. Verse 48, he says to them, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But go back to that. You are my witnesses of these things. This mass initiative of Christ to share this good news and who were going to be the vessels, who were going to be the people to carry it. It was his disciples. And later we know that he was talking to us too. We are his witnesses. It's our privilege to share this great commission. It's our privilege to take the power of what Christ has done to forgive sins, the power he proved it when he raised from the dead, and to share that. And I guess I was just really challenged on that. How are we doing in being witnesses of this miracle? And we spent weeks learning the, the verbal side of how to share the gospel, right? How can I, with words, tell the gospel? But we've got to take a hard look this morning at, am I living the gospel in front of the world? Is my walk matching up with my talk? Why don't you think for a a couple of minutes on a credible testimony. I watch movies that have lawyers in them. I like those. And they'll bring the witness up in this big trial. And almost every time, um, the witness will share his testimony and then the opposing lawyer will come up. And what's one of the first things that opposing lawyer is going to try and do? Discredit the witness. And what's he going to use, Sean? Some things, yeah, he'll try and snow them to make them look not so bright. Or sometimes they'll even ask questions that would bring up something in the witness's past, right? To make them seem like not such an upstanding individual. Bottom line is the witness of that uh, individual, if it's compromised or if the credibility is brought into question, then the jury or the judge or whomever is, is assigned to evaluate this could easily say, oh, that witness claims one thing, but, you know, I'm not buying it. If I were on the stand for Jesus Christ, giving witness of what the Lord Jesus has done to save sinners who are lost, when the opposing counsel comes up and starts scrutinizing my life, is my testimony going to hold up as credible? Am I going to be a credible witness because my walk matches my talk. That was a sobering thought to me. Another kind of connection to this is I, I love what I do. I'm blessed to, to study uh, with people, their retirement scenarios, and I'm uh, tasked with the idea of, okay, what are the best financial tools to help them accomplish their goals? And almost every time after I've presented an approach to someone, and it's different with everybody, but uh, I'll present an approach, and one of the first questions they ask me is what? What would you guess? Yeah, how much will this cost? Maybe, okay, we talk about that. What did you do? 
What do you do for your family? Why are they asking me that? Credibility, right? Credibility. Are you buying what you're selling? Do you believe enough in what you're telling me to do that you've done it yourself? Because there's a cost to everything. There's a price to saving money. It's sacrificing now, and I'm setting it aside. Like Nate said, that you've got to evaluate that. But a lot, for a lot of people, the reality of whether my advice is credible, of course it's all the numbers and the facts and the figures, but a lot of people come down to, okay, is this guy doing what he's suggesting that I do? Think of that as far as being a contagious Christian. I'm telling people, I'm urging people, receive the free gift of salvation. Am I living out the life of, of a faithful follower of Christ? Am I living out the life that I'm explaining to them? I'm telling them you can can have peace in God through Lord Jesus Christ. You can be close to him. You can abide in him. He'll carry your burdens. Am I casting my burdens on him? Am I spending time in his word? Am I praying like as often as I breathe, right? This is the walk. This is the credibility And my ability to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ is directly related to my consistency in walking with Christ. There's all kinds of great scripture, and I'm going to put all three of them up there. There's all kinds of wonderful scripture that lays it out pretty clearly. And I want to take a look at uh, Ephesians 4, chapter 1 with you real briefly. There's a lot of them. If you were going to remember a reference, uh, I would say Ephesians 4.1 is a nice round number that you uh, you can remember. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest followers of Christ, one of the most consistent followers of Jesus Christ, he walked the walk. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Walk worthy of the calling. And in your notes, if you want some practical ways of walking the walk, I'll point out three of them from these verses. One, humility. Humility. Jesus Christ is the model of humility. Philippians says, Therefore, being in the form of God... Uh, he didn't hold on to that, but he laid aside his um, visible attributes of being God and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our humility is going to reflect a backed up walk for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is tough. You know in your heart, I know in my heart that we are prideful individuals. Ego is a big player in my life, way more than I'd like. And so humility, humbling ourselves before God, obeying when God says to consider others better than ourselves. 
working like crazy to understand my proper place that I am nothing special except in Christ. So that when I share, I don't have a, a flavor of arrogance. If you talk to people that, that whenever they open their mouth, it seems like they're just arrogant. Too many of us that claim to be followers of Christ have a flavor of arrogance in not only our words, but in our actions. We've got to humble ourselves. So walking worthy involves humility. Uh, I would urge us as, as Peter, the book of Peter says, humble yourselves. I wouldn't recommend asking God to humble you. I think he would. But I think instead he commands, humble yourselves. Don't wait around for God to soften your hard, prideful heart. Choose instead to allow God to help you humble yourself. I think it will be a much more proactive and pleasant experience compared to waiting around for God to have to humble us. Gentleness. Gentleness. My oldest daughter has some really cool traits, but some of those traits of leadership and organization oftentimes can be wrapped in a harshness. And I challenge her like I need to challenge myself to be a gentle lion, a gentle woman. Gentleness is so key. Christ was the ultimate example of gentleness. Am I? Are you? A walk-worthy would call for gentleness. Finally, um, I would challenge you not from these specific verses, but if you keep reading Ephesians 4, what's the next way that he challenges us to walk the walk? He goes into spiritual gifts. He goes into laying out that he has used this church family and the church, the, the universal church, every believer of Christ. He's empowered us to be a body each of us having special gifts, each of us having a special contribution. Our worthy walk is directly tied to my willingness to do my part in the body of Christ, to use my gifts. He's given some the ability to be merciful, supernaturally merciful to others. He's given others the ability to be supernaturally generous with others. He's given some this special gift of hospitality. Are we using them? Those are gifts that reflect our worthy walk. Those are gifts that back up the talk of sharing salvation. And Ephesians 4, the entire chapter summarizes it all. Take a look at it. I like 1 Thessalonians. Let's go there together. And I skipped the chapter. It's chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 Verses 9 and 10. And this ties back again to the, the witnesses. Um, 9 through 12. We'll start at 9. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you 
into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Walk worthy. Now, what I like about this is what was the basis of the Apostle Paul and the others with him challenging them to work, walk worthy? What did he lay out in the verses before as credibility for him to say, walk worthy? You see it? Take a look. 9, 10, 11. What's he talking about there? What's he putting forward as the credibility sign for him then to say, walk worthy? You see it there? An example. Paul's example. Followers of Christ, example. He says, you were witnesses of God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. The credibility for Paul to say, walk worthy of the gospel was... He was doing it. His walk was consistent. This wasn't a a guy just talking something that he's not walking. This is a guy that had devoted his life to walking the walk. And so I think not only is it another challenge from inspired and holy scripture to walk worthy of the calling, but it's a great example that the the motivation um, when we challenge others to walk has to be our own example, our own life. Finally, Colossians. This is a great one. Uh, My brother Isaac has been uh, encouraging my heart with verses from the Scripture. And Colossians has been a a theme uh, that there's been just a ton of encouragement. I've been so grateful for that. Verse 10 of chapter 1. And let's start in 9, just for context. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Walk worthy of the calling. But be encouraged that verse 11 reminds us, our job, walk worthy. Step after step, day after day. Seek to honor the Lord. Humility, using my gifts right? Where's the power source? Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He will empower you, brothers and sisters. He will give you the strength to walk worthy of him. It's not about KT and trying to accomplish some task. It's about the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of KT and every follower of Jesus to empower you to walk worthy of the gospel. Here's the bottom line. Will I yield to the Spirit? Will I give up being a control freak and say, okay, God, you direct, you guide, you put the path of this walk together. And I'm going to follow that path no matter how hard, no matter what the cost. Walk worthy, but be encouraged that the power, the energy comes from God himself to do that. 
So walk worthy of his calling. So we've got two things so far. We've got this idea of being Christ's witnesses, that our life testimony will back up the verbal message that we share, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then we've got the challenge to walk worthy so that my actions and how I'm humble and loving and how I'm using my spiritual gift will give credibility when I share the good news verbally. And then there's one more way of looking at it. And we'll go to the Old Testament for this one. But there's the concept of walking with integrity. Integrity. Turn to Psalm 15 if you could. And we'll just spend a few minutes in Psalm 15. Uh, We definitely could spend much longer. In fact, way back in the old days, the GAC actually went through this entire psalm verse by verse and spent a week on each verse learning from the scriptures. But for today, I think a sampling of it, a a taste of it was enough at least to to challenge my heart again and to motivate my heart. Um, I love the concept of integrity, and we'll talk about that. But listen to verse 1 and 2. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who's saying this, by the way? This is a psalm of David, King David, one of the greatest rulers of of, uh, all time, a man who was uh, a man after God's own heart. He was close to God, and he's crying out to God, and he says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Integrity is directly linked to our fellowship with God. And David, before Christ came, right? David, before Christ came, was remembering that the way to be close to God is by being integral and righteous. Great news, right? Except there's a problem. What's the problem? Who here is completely righteous in themselves? Who has complete integrity in themselves? Well, we better define what we mean first. What is integrity? My understanding is integrity means complete consistency. An integer is a number that doesn't have a fraction. It's not divided. It's not a little part. It's not one and seven-eighths. It's one. It's two. It's three. Okay? We'll carry that into the spiritual meaning. Integrity means completely consistent, completely unified. And so if we're to be integral, that means that every bit of my actions need to match up with the fact that I'm claiming to want to be near Christ. Oops. Got a problem. I'm not completely integral. I screw up daily. What about righteousness? How many mulligans do you get to be righteous? How many um, mistakes, slip-ups are you allowed if you're going to be considered completely righteous? How many slip-ups? None. None. Righteous is completely without sin. Take a look at Romans chapter 3. 
Romans chapter 3. This is again is the Apostle Paul being told to write by the power of the Spirit of God. And he lays it out pretty clear for us. Chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. and the path of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. What does that mean, every mouth closed? Because when God, the searcher of all hearts, says, okay, who is righteous? Every mouth will be closed because no one can say I'm perfect. There has not been a day that I have told a half-truth in my life. There's never a time where I snapped at my, my wife or my kids. I have been perfect in my job. I have not slacked off one moment. All their mouths are shut. No one is righteous. Not one. But, verse 21, take a look at this. Not my words, the word of Almighty God speaking to you today. But, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been brought forward. It's been made real. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood I'm told that propitiation means a a satisfying of the wrath of God Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for my sin by shedding his own blood. Through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can you be just today? How can you be righteous? How can you be cleaned and given integrity Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. The work has been done. Jesus died. He paid for every sin. And he says, as many as would receive him, Scripture says, whoever receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Take a moment. Search your heart. This is a better opportunity than any to finally maybe understand for the first time that I am a sinner, I can be saved through grace, saved through the work of Jesus Christ that he did for me. He's a loving God, hungry to restore your heart, to give you true righteousness, righteousness that you cannot have on your own. 2 Corinthians verse 6, I think, sums it up so well. 
Verse 2, he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you, God says. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friends, this is the time to silently in your heart receive the free gift of Jesus Christ and to be changed forever, set free from the law of sin and of death and walk worthy in him, to finally be given a chance to have the true righteousness and integrity that is absolutely critical for dwelling with God for eternity. Exciting opportunity, and we pray that your, that your heart would be moved by God today, your eyes would be open, and that you would receive Christ. Back to Psalm 15. Once our eyes are open, once we've received Christ, we know that we have integrity. It's in Christ. We know that we have the righteousness of Christ. And so when we go and read these other verses in Psalm 15, it's not a question of, are we given righteousness? Now it's a question of, am I going to walk the walk? Am I going to be consistent with the righteousness that Christ has, has given me? Am I going to be integral in following who I am? Because if I know Christ, who am I? I am in Christ. My identity is tied in with him. Still an individual, still unique, still special to God. But my righteousness, my credibility, my integrity is now directly tied to Christ. And my walk reflects that integrity. Now, I can give a, a, an accurate picture with how I live. And every time that I choose to walk with a lack of integrity, I'm confusing all that, that hear me talk of Christ. If my walk does not match up with the integrity in Christ, I'm sending confusion into the heart. And Dr. Frank last week laid it on the line. He said, our church, we as a people have failed We've been hypocrites many, many times. And the church of Jesus Christ has hurt people through hypocrisy. That's got to stop. This is our chance. This is our chance to walk the walk, to be consistent with this message that we're preaching, this, this great news that we're sharing. Will my walk match up? Quickly, a couple points from Psalm 5 that I think will really, really enhance the consistency of our message. Verse 3, the follower of Christ, the, the integral witness of the Savior, does not slander with his tongue. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. The follower of Christ does not slander with his tongue. Anita has challenged many of us with other scriptures that talk about how words can be like a fire that just burn up any unity and any good thing among us. Slander is directly in opposition of the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to be challenged to never, ever have a slanderous or gossiping thing to say about one of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Will you join me in that commitment? Our testimony depends on our willingness to abstain from slander and gossip. Isn't it funny how it's the little things? You know, the, 
the, the little things like, oh, a little, little word of slander here. Oh, no big deal, right? No, that's what busts it. That's what discredits our walk. It's the little things. Book of Song of Solomon is talking about relationships and he says, catch the little foxes which ruin the vineyard. It's the little things. It's not like any of you are going to murder someone. I sure hope not. Your witness is not going to be discredited, I don't think, from uh, murder. But will it be by slander? An apparent little thing, but a big thing to God. And let's be real, something that when we're sharing the good news, if I have a slanderous tongue, there's no credibility to that when I'm speaking to others about Christ. Verse 3 also says, takes up a reproach. The man or woman of integrity does not take up a reproach against his friend. What am I talking about here? There's a loyalty. Christ was loyal to his disciples. Did you notice that? They would fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying for him. Later, they would deny him three times. They were completely disloyal to him. And then later, you see him using them, telling them, you're my, you're my followers, you're my disciples, get to work. Christ was ultimately loyal to those, even when they were disloyal to him. Our loyalty to one another will reflect our walk. My willingness to back you up, to have your back, no matter how many times you've, you've messed up, or no matter how many times I've messed up, when you've got my back, that's a loyalty. And I truly believe that the world is hungry to see an example of true loyalty. Will it be us? If it is, or I should say, when it is, then our testimony is going to have so much more credibility. Am I loyal? If not, I need to develop that loyalty. This is a good one. Verse 4. The man or woman of integrity swears to his own hurt and does not change. There's an example, write down if you could, 2 Chronicles 25, 5-9. through 9. Because believe it or not, in that whole list of names in Chronicles, there's an application for us of spiritual living. There's a story of a king of Judah, and he was in some serious trouble. The Edomites were coming for him. And so he does what every good king should do. He starts thinking outside the box, and he hires warriors from Israel. And he brings these warriors in and he promises them a great deal of money when they fight to protect Judah. Well, God had other ideas and God sends a prophet to this king and he says, I'm not pleased with that. I'm going to deliver you without those warriors. You don't have to pay for warriors in order for me to protect you. And he says, king, if you want to trust in me, tell those warriors to go home. And the king says, but, but I've already promised them the money. What should I do about that? And God says, the money that you need to follow through and pay them will be a drop in the bucket compared to the blessing that I'll bestow on you. He had promised this bounty, this money to these mercenaries. God told him, follow through with it. Spend the money for nothing. Give them the money even though they're not going to fight for you. Follow through with your commitment. And so the king did. He paid these soldiers, and instead of requiring them to do the work, he sent them home. What a waste. What a stupid business decision, right? Maybe a stupid business decision, but it was a man of integrity. 
He followed through with his commitment. He swore to his own hurt. When he made that commitment, he followed through even though it was a waste of money. He followed through. He did not change his word. Have we backed out on a commitment that we've made? Are we fickle or unfaithful in promises that we make? discredits our testimony. The man and women of integrity follow through with what they've said, even when it hurts, even when the plan has changed, even when there's no logical reason to do so because I got, I got bailed out another way. The man and woman sticks to their word. Jesus, uh, in the New Testament, Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be a person that has to say, I'll do that. Oh, no, really, I promise. You can believe. No. When I say, yes, I'm going to do that, there's no question because this guy follows through. These are the, the things that uh, Scripture seem to point out in my heart that if I'm going to be a man who walks the walk to back up the talk, I've got to be a man that takes my witnessing for Jesus Christ very serious, and that includes my credibility as a witness. I need to walk worthy of his calling with humility and love, using my spiritual gift. And I need integrity. And integrity many times comes up with the little things. It amounts to the little things. Do I speak slanderous things? Do I gossip about others? Am I loyal? Am I trustworthy? And finally, when I say something, do I follow through? Is my yes, yes? Are my commitments fulfilled? And again, none of this is easy, but God promises that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living inside of each follower of Christ. That's where the motivation has to be. I, though, have to have a ready heart. I have to be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. I'll carry through. I'll follow through with these steps. I sure have a lot of things to work on this week. I hope you'll join me in laboring for the the, uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we're glad for this time. We're glad for uh, a family that can gather like this, Lord, our church family. We can talk about the, the hard things. We can be real with each other. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd touch each one of our hearts again, that you would... um, bring new spiritual life today and then that you would motivate each of the rest of us to to walk worthy of your calling i'm thankful for the uh, people that have worked hard to allow us to be together think of even the uh, refreshments out there that uh, hannah and kevin have put together and just pray that you'll continue to uh, bless and guide our church allow us to be thankful and grateful for the many many blessings that you've given us And so in Jesus' name we pray, amen.